regenerative medicine today. This is John Murphy. It's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Johnny Eward. Dr. Eward is a renowned stem cell scientist and is the director of the Stem Cell Research Center at Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh. Dr. Eward, welcome to regenerative medicine today. That's a pleasure. So I think, you know, I'm really happy to be here. As I said in my introduction, Dr. Eward, you've done some very pioneering studies as it relates to stem cells with the ultimate expectation that these will be available for various clinical therapies. I know that you and some of your colleagues pioneered a study several years ago that is now in a clinical trial. Perhaps that's the place to start in terms of your discoveries and your research. Yes, absolutely. The stem cells that we have isolated are from skeletal muscles, so we call them muscle-derived stem cells. And we discovered those cells probably 10 years ago, and there are still some debate out there. Again, you know, are they a subpopulation of satellite cells, which is really the muscle-derived progenitor cells that has been used for many years? And we're still unclear about that. But one thing is clear is we can take those cells in an autologous approach. We can take a muscle biopsy from you, isolated your own muscle-derived stem cells, and use them to repair your tissues in an autologous approach. Because of that, we have accelerated two clinical trials. The first one has been really on bladder dysfunction, when those patients, you know, suffer from urinary incontinence, when their bladder sphincters are not tight enough, and they leak urine when they cough, they sneeze, and so forth. And we have shown, after a lot of animal work, where we show that if you inject those muscle-derived stem cells into the bladder sphincters, then you significantly reduce the leakage of urine and you improve the quality of life. And because of that, we have started the clinical trials in Canada probably two or three years ago, and that was a safety study, and 40 to 50 patients was injected. And we were very safe. Of course, the cells were isolated from them and injected into their bladder neck to prevent the leakage of urine. And we didn't have to do any gene therapy to modify the cells. And so not only we were safe, but in many patients, we significantly improved our quality of life. And because of that, we have started, you know, a 100-patient clinical trials approved by the FDA in the USA. The second clinical trial that we just started a few months ago was for cardiac repair. And again, you know, after a cardiac injuries, so what we do is we take muscle, a muscle biopsy. The cells are being isolated here at the University of Pittsburgh. And after this, the cells are being sent to the surgeon and eventually they inject the cells into the heart. We have only a patient, so we cannot say a lot about it. But again, we did the first injection in May last year. So the patient is still alive and apparently has significantly improved, and therefore we're safe for the patient, and now we're going to do more patient. So this is very interesting because what you've just shared with us is the fact that you're taking a patient's own stem cells, essentially doing no manipulation on them, and then injecting them into the tissue that needs to be regenerated or reconstructed. Exactly. That's the advantage of this technology because we're not injecting foreign cells in your body. We don't have to use any immunosuppressive agent to prevent the rejection of the cells because this is your own cells. But of course, down the road, what we would like to do is we would like to be in a better position to do that. And maybe we can make a muscle biopsy when you are younger and we can isolate your own stem cells and we can freeze them down. 
And if later on in life you get a cardiac injuries or bladder dysfunction and maybe a bone fractures, then we can tell the cells that were, were isolated at a younger age, so they will be better. So we think that the improvement of the quality of life will be even better. So, Dr. Ewart, thank you for this introduction, and I perhaps should mention to our listeners that if anybody has an interest in either of these clinical trials, they're actually being managed by a licensee of this technology, Cook Myocyte, and I will put on the podcast website a link to Cook Myocyte if there's an interest in uh, people exploring those possibilities. So, Dr. Ewart, I know that you are continuing your research looking for other sources of effective and potent stem cells that are patient-derived. Can you share with us a brief update of where you are in those studies? I used to say that when those cells end up in clinic, our job as scientists is basically done for that particular application. But as you pointed out very clearly, so the research we're doing now in the lab is we have a lot of questions that need to be posed and need to be answered. But the first one is where those cells come from? Yes, we get those cells from a skeletal muscle. But as you know, we have a lot of different tissues within skeletal muscle. We have the muscle fibers. You have connective tissues. You have fat tissues. So one good question to be asked is where are they derived from? And recently we found that those cells appear to derive from the blood vessels. So we have two sources of cells within the blood vessels. We have the perivascular cells, which are cells that surround the blood vessels. But we have also, you know, endothelial cells, which are cells within the blood vessels. And we found that those blood vessel-derived stem cells appear to be similar to the stem cell that we have been using in the past. And to make the point even stronger, we have published a couple of papers recently that we think that maybe all the adult-derived stem cells that has been isolated from fat, from bone marrows, may also derive you know, from perivascular cells. So knowing this, for probably some listener, you know, they may say, what is the point of knowing the origin of those cells? Is that important? And I'm going to try to draw you know, a conclusion here that if you know where the cells come from, then you may develop better therapies. And I'm going to give you an example here. So if we found that our cells derive from blood vessels, so therefore, if you increase the number of blood vessels, you should increase the repair process. And indeed, now we're moving toward those research where we try to promote angiogenesis. So angiogenesis being increasing the number of blood vessels in that tissues. And we can use gene therapy by delivering angiogenic factor. And we found that if you do this, then you increase the number of blood vessels in that tissues, and therefore the number of stem cells is increased, and therefore the healing is being accelerated. But more importantly, we found that exercise and neuromuscular electrical stimulation, which are modalities that has been used for years, and we found that if you do those modalities, you increase the number of blood vessels, and you increase the number of stem cells. So by knowing where the stem cells come from, we may be able to develop better therapies for those patients out there. So this is very interesting. I would perhaps characterize what you just described as a systems approach. You're looking at the entire system in terms of vascularization and the tissue and so forth. It sounds like you're making some significant progress as a result of that approach that you've taken. The beauty of this, again, if you do exercise, for many years people exercise, they feel better, they don't age as fast, and everybody's using, well, you know, you're getting rid of the endorphin, but because we have used this theory for so many years, but what happened during exercise is you probably increase your number of blood vessels, 
you probably increase the number of stem cells and that's the reason why you probably heal faster and that's probably a reason why you don't age as fast. And the beauty of this system again, we're not doing a stem cell therapy now. We're using exercise or neuromuscular electrical stimulation, which is almost a stem cell therapy without injecting stem cells. Because as you said, you know, we have an overall effect on the entire organism. So as you share this very significant progress uh, with us, you're well aware of the, both the scientific and the ethical debates about embryonic stem cells. It seems to me from what you've described that uh, while scientists debate the functionality of embryonic stem cells, it seems that you're making some rather significant progress in using patient-derived stem cells. Yeah, absolutely, and I just would like to share an author, you know, uh, observation that we have made over the years, and that is really at the heart of the debate between adult-derived stem cells versus embryonic stem cells. And the question is, people ask you, and or if you ask people why stem cells are so good, they will tell you stem cells are so good because they can become a cardiac cells, they can become a bone cells, they can become a cartilage cells. But in reality, what we have done over 15 years of research in our lab and other labs around the country and in the world, we found that if you inject a stem cells into the heart, the stem cells do not become a cardiac cells themselves. What they do, they send signal to the host cells within that heart to repair that tissues. The same thing is true within the bone, the same thing is true within the cartilage, and certainly the same thing is true when you try to repair the bladder sphincters. So the bottom line is, if the stem cell that you put in do not become that tissue of interest, they don't have to become multipotent to become a cardiac cells. So therefore, we believe that stem cell therapy do not require the cells to undergo multilineage differentiation. And if you compare this with adult and embryonic stem cells, Many people out there said embryonic stem cells are so great because that stem cell can become every single cell type in your body. But indeed, for stem cell therapy, for the ones that are being investigated now, we don't need that stem cell to become that tissue of interest. We just need that stem cell to send signal to induce a repair process by the host cells. And with the examples you shared, you've already had some success with that hypothesis. Yes, absolutely. And now we're doing a lot of work to try to understand the signal that the stem cells are sending because those signals appear to be a major determinant because if we understand those signals, then we can probably initiate a better repair process. And like I said, I think it is very important that we understand how the stem cells work. Yes, we can improve cardiac function. Yes, we can improve bone function. And in our clinical trials, we improve quality of life. But the stem cells themselves that we put there do not have to become that tissue of interest. And this is a very good news because you start a repair process that is being mainly driven by the whole cells in your body. So this discussion up to this point has been about cells, and you've just introduced this concept of signaling. We've had other scientists on prior podcasts whose interest and focus is on tissue engineering, and they talk about signaling. Is, is in fact, signaling the, the common thread through all this regenerative uh, approaches? Yeah, I think you know, this is a very good point, and 
So what I just told you about the stem cells having an effect by releasing signal into the local tissues to repair that tissues is the same thing when you use SIS, for example. Probably when you put submucosa or some sort of scaffold in tissue engineering, what the scaffold are doing is they are sending signal to the host cells, and that can explain why in those conditions you have a repair process. And I don't know if you have heard, but in the sports medicine, one area that we're really focusing on, a lot of people are using blood. They just take blood and they just extract one constituent of the blood, which is cells within the blood plus PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma. And where that start? That start here in Pittsburgh because Heinz Ward, you know, two years ago, when we were going to the Super Bowl, had the knee injuries. And what we decide to do, not us, but at the hospital level, they decide to inject his own blood in his own knee. And two weeks after, he played the Super Bowl. And sure enough, we win the Super Bowl. And we don't know if we can draw a parallel, but a lot of people now are saying, maybe we can inject just the blood or the buffy coat, which is cells within your blood. And indeed, that's probably initiated the repair like the SIS initiate the repair, like the pure stem cells initiate the repair because they release signal to that tissue that is being damaged. And again, the repair process is mainly mediated by the cell from the host. So I have to compliment you. You obviously have a quality basic science program, but you also have a very strong commitment to what I characterize as clinical translation. So that's a very nice mix in terms of getting things from the bench to the bedside, so to speak. I have to say that most stem cell biologists are interested to know how stem cells divide, where stem cells come from, how many type of stem cells you have in your body. I have to say that my main push in the lab has been how can we improve the quality of life. So again, I told you earlier on, we are interested to know where stem cells come from. It's not because for the pure knowledge where they come from. It's because by knowing this, we can develop better therapies. So now by knowing, by searching where the stem cells come from, we found that they are from the blood vessel. So now we're starting to develop new therapies for patients because the main goal of our lab has been to improve quality of life of those patients out there. So if we can show that exercise, neuromuscular electrical stimulation, and maybe even a scaffold at the end of the day is very important for tissue healing, then therefore we're gonna go with the approach that's gonna be the less dramatic for the patient. And we understand that the population age, and if you have something that can be applied to those patients like exercise and improve their quality of life, then that should be the approach that we should use. So let's briefly talk about the future. You've shared with us the two clinical studies on urinary incontinence and cardiac therapy. And I know you're very actively involved in looking at cell therapies for Duchenne muscular dystrophy, but if we were having this conversation in perhaps two years, what other emerging technologies from a clinical perspective might you be able to talk about? I'm very excited about the futures of stem cell therapy for many reasons. I'm going to give you the main two. Let's think about muscular dystrophy. Muscular dystrophy, the one that we have been working on is Duchenne muscular dystrophy. This is a horrible disorder. Those patients, you know, at 10 years of age, they become wheelchair-bound. And at 20 years of age, they usually die by cardiac and respiratory failure. We know that they are missing a protein in their muscle called dystrophin. And because of that, the muscle get damaged every time that you just walk to go to the bathroom or whatever, the muscle get damaged. So therefore, you know, a major push with Duchenne muscular dystrophy has been to try to restore that protein that we're missing. 
But we believe that with stem cell therapy now, with the knowledge that we have, we believe that what has slowed down the progress of stem cell therapy for Duchenne is that you have to isolate the patient's own stem cells. You have to correct them genetically because they do not express the dystrophin, and you have to re-inject them back which make the treatment very difficult. And because, you know, the cells, after you genetically modify them, they are not like the normal cells. They express antigens, and sometimes they are rejected. Same thing is true with normal stem cells being injected in those patients, because they are not their own stem cells, and they are being rejected. But what we believe, with the knowledge I told you today, that the stem cells do not have to become that tissue of interest to repair that tissue. We believe that we can probably harvest those muscle cells from those dystrophic patients at day one, one day after birth. We isolated his own stem cells, and when the muscle degeneration start to occur, muscle weakness start to occur, we can touch those cells and inject his own stem cells. No, that's not going to be the home run. That's not going to be a cure, but that's going to improve their quality of life, and that should be our focus. So point one, I'm very excited about muscular dystrophy and so forth. The second point is regarding everybody that you talk about stem cell therapy, they think about regenerative medicine, they think about the treatment for cardiac repair, for bladder repair, for bone repair. But we have to understand that by understanding how stem cells work, we may understand how cancer develops. And one thing that we have done in the lab is you probably have heard that a lot of similarities or a lot of similar features is found in stem cells and in cancer cells. And indeed, we found recently that you know, some of the stem cells that we're using, even if they are adult-derived, some of them become cancer. So we're really excited to understand how they become cancer. And we're really interested to understand how can we block that. Because if you can block a stem cells to become a cancer cells, then you may have found a way to block cancer. And that will be probably one of the most important features of regenerative medicine. Because if you can block cancer, because we have no treatment today to block cancer. Irradiation, chemo, those drugs that we're using to kill those cancer cells, kill all your good cells as well. So we believe that maybe at the end of the day, maybe in two or five years down the road, if we understand better the stem cells, we may develop approach to prevent cancer, which is an auto development of stem cells. We talk about stem cells becoming a cardiac cells, becoming a bone cells, the stem cell can become a cancer cell too. And if we can use that knowledge to block a stem cell to become cancer, we may have found a new way to block cancer, and that will be a major success of all the regenerative medicine with stem cells. Dr. Ewer, this has been fascinating. I appreciate you taking the time to share with us your pioneering studies and your also pioneering clinical translation initiatives. As we conclude this podcast, I'd like to remind our listeners that I will put on the podcast website a link to Dr. Ewart's website so you can explore in more depth his pioneering studies. And also, as we conclude, I'd like to remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions in terms of topics and speakers, but we cannot diagnose medical problems via the Internet. Also, as we conclude, I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors these podcasts. Until we meet again in two weeks, thank you for listening. <laughs>